Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. It's great, isn't it, to have Bill with us. Why don't we give Bill an amazing welcome. God bless you. God bless you. And let's give the clap offering, not to me, no, to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a joy to be back and a joy to be in the presence of the Lord. And you've been introduced to our amazing son, Luke. But I'd like to introduce you to someone who is equally amazing, my precious, adorable, and wonderful wife, Haley. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Spent a lot of time praying over the messages today, so let's believe him to touch as only he can and that he is going to get all the glory because he deserves it all. Amen. Amen. Lord, we are so blessed to be your children, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, that you will just move in a mighty way. God, that you will just touch us where we need to be touched, Lord God. Sweep across us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Hide your servant behind the cross that all might see Jesus and Jesus alone. And Lord, we just pray this with one goal in mind, that the name of Jesus might be uplifted above every other name. And it's in that name we pray, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. We all really have something in common, I believe, and that is all of us are desirous from time to time, and I believe this is one of those times, of having a new beginning. And, you know, I believe even the way the Lord put together the universe is conducive to people having new beginnings. I mean, every 24 hours, right, we have a new day. And then we have uh, a new month and a new year. And these aren't just creative things in our minds. These are scientific realities going around uh, about us. And I believe all of these have in mind, at least as a part of why they're there, is that we need new beginnings. In fact, it's interesting because, uh, of course, we know that the grandest new beginning of all is the born-again experience having the Lord come inside of our hearts and proclaiming that He is our Lord and Savior. But the wonderful thing is the new beginnings do not end at the born-again experience, do they? Amen. In fact, uh, in Ephesians it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, if you look at the original Greek, it means to be filled continuously, meaning again and again and again and again. We need new experiences with God. And as I was praying over these last several weeks about what passage of Scripture to preach on and what message to preach, this is what the Lord laid onto my heart, that He desires to give King's Church and us as individuals a new beginning. Amen? So let's turn together to Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, and our text this morning is out of Joshua chapter 3 in its entirety, 
And uh, the title of this morning's message is From the Old Onto the New. From the Old Onto the New. And our text is out of Joshua chapter 3 in its entirety. Joshua chapter 3, and we are going to begin reading in verse 1. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, from the Old Onto the New. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reach the Jordan and their feet touch the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, the first point we want to make in this message is departing from a thorny, painful experience. Now, there are a lot of parallels in this passage of Scripture between these sets of incidents and the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it begins with one very key word in this passage that may surprise you. It is the town referred to in verse 1, Shittim, and it means scourging 
thorns, literally means scourging thorns. That's where the Israelites were departing from. And of course, who do we think of when we think of scourging thorns? We think of Jesus, don't we? Because he wore a crown of thorns around his head. And as he went to the cross for you and for me and for everyone who knows Jesus and all who would call upon his name, he was scourged. And there were a lot of parallels between this passage of Scripture and the experiences of Christ. Even Joshua and Jesus basically are the same name, Old Testament version, Hebrew, and New Testament version. They both mean Savior. Joshua and Jesus both mean Savior or salvation. And so there is that parallel. We'll see other parallels as well. But you notice they were departing from this town that meant scourging thorns. And a lot of us have been through a scourging thorn experience recently. And we can learn from these experiences. We can go through them and learn about more about God, more about who we are in Christ and so forth. But there's a time in which we need to put the past behind us. Even as Philippians 3 encourages us to put behind us the past and to press on to what God has for us, we've got to reach a place where we say, okay, I've been through these trials, but enough is enough. At some point, we need to lift our eyes and get our minds and eyes on the promised land. Amen. And I believe that's what God wants us to do as a church, as individuals, to lift up our eyes and get our eyes on the promised land. We've all gone through trials, but now it's time to get our eyes on what God has for us, what he has for us ahead. Amen. Now, verse 2 says, after three days, the officers went through the camp. So there was this three-day period of waiting. And again, we think of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, don't we? Because there again, there was a three-day period of waiting, just as there is in this passage of Scripture. And you know what? It's very true. Something's very common as human beings. We do not like to wait, do we? And yet, as much as we don't like to wait... There is great reward for those who do wait on the Lord. And we need to realize this. But no one inherently enjoys waiting. I mean, for example, when you go shopping at uh, the market, how many of you, when you go shopping for the market and you're finished shopping for groceries, you look at the lines that are available and you think to yourself, now where is the longest line? I want to wait in the longest line. No one does that because we don't like to wait. Or if we're at a traffic light and it turns green, how many say to ourselves, oh, I've just enjoyed waiting here so much. You know what? I think I'm going to wait for the next green light. I'm just going to, you know, let it turn red again and just wait because I've enjoyed waiting here so much. No, no one does that. We do not enjoy waiting. But God puts in Scripture so many verses that refer to the rewards of waiting. Perhaps the most famous, uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up their wings as eagles. There are a lot of verses like that. But here's one perhaps that we haven't studied as much as the one I just read in Isaiah. It's another one in Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18. 
And it says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Now, one of the most wonderful aspects about that verse is it begins by saying the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to bless us. We need to realize that. A lot of times we think, even as Christians, that in order for God to bless us, we somehow have to butter him up. And only if we butter him up, only if we say, oh God, I'll do anything if you just bless me, Lord. I'll even love my mother-in-law. Okay. We think somehow God is going to bless us more. But God doesn't work that way. He longs to bless us. He wants to bless us. We need to realize this. In fact, I think back to my experiences when I was uh, finishing my junior year in high school, and my best friend at the time was finishing up his senior year in high school. He was a year ahead of me, and he was getting ready to go off to the university, and he was going to go to another university about a, a thousand miles away. So we thought, well, before my friend graduates from high school, we need to have one last great time in high school together. And I'm originally from New York, and uh, we wanted to go visit Washington, D.C., which is more or less about 220 miles from New York. And in order to do that, we needed a, a car. Neither of us owned a car, um, but we were hoping Matt could get his father to lend him the car, and then we wanted to go down to Washington, D.C. for a few days and enjoy the nation's capital. But my best friend, Matt, thought, I don't know if my parents and my dad will agree to that. I think I'm going to have to really butter up my dad in order for him to say yes. So I was there at Matt's home, and Matt's father came home, and Matt said to us, he said, oh, hi, Matt, hi, Bill. So, Matt, uh, what did you do today? And Matt started buttering him up right away. And he said, oh, I've just been telling all my friends what a great father I have. <laughs> and immediately, I mean, Matt's father was smart. And immediately he said, uh, what do you want, Matt? And Matt said, oh, nothing, nothing. It's just that I had a friend of mine who said that his father was so great that he'd allow him to drive the family car for 25 miles. Well, Matt said, I couldn't let that go because my father's better than his father. So I said, well, my father's so great he'd allow me to drive 50 miles. And the father said, what do you want? Matt. Oh, nothing, nothing. It's just my friend said, well, his father was so great, he'd allow him to go 80 miles. And I couldn't let that go because my father's better than his father. So I said, well, my father's so great, he'd allow me to, to drive 150 miles. And then the friend said, oh, well, my father allowed me to drive 180. And Matt said, well, I couldn't let that go because my father's better than his father. And so I said, well, my father is so great, he'd allow us to borrow the family car for three days and go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> and the father said, what do you want, Matt? 
And Matt replied what we wanted. He said, oh, please, we just want to have one last time together in Washington, D.C. And then the father said, well, of course. Why didn't you ask that in the first place? You've always been responsible when you borrowed the family car. You've been a good driver, of course. I'd be more than happy. I know you and Bill want to have one last great time together, so of course. And Matt really didn't realize just how much his father longed to bless Matt. Now, if that is true with an earthly father, doesn't this sound familiar from Scripture, right? If that is so with an earthly father... How much more is that so with our Heavenly Father? He longs to bless us. The waiting is worth it because, praise God, He longs to bless His children. And we need to realize that whatever we're believing God for, God longs to bless us. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, verse 5, returning to our main text. Joshua says, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you now some translations read sanctify yourselves consecrate yourselves and uh, it is very important to realize you know God can use whoever he wants to work a miracle absolutely and sometimes in fact uh we, yes, we sneeze at sometimes some of the people that God uses. Thank you very much. I didn't even have to pay him anything to do that. That was God's perfect timing. God can use whoever he wants, and sometimes he does purposely just to demonstrate to us once again that he is a God of grace and that he is in control. But even though that's so, it's also true that God tends to work miracles in the greatest number and in the greatest way in the context of holy living. We need to realize that just generally. That's very important to recognize. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about seeking God's gifts, and God's gifts are wonderful, but more important than seeking the gifts is to seek God's face. And you know what? If we seek God's face, God will take care of the gifts and give us the gifts that he wants us to have. The main thing is to seek his face. But a lot of people like shortcuts. We live in a society today that even Christians desire shortcuts. We have a saying in the United States, you may even have it in in Great Britain as well, it takes time to be holy. There are no shortcuts There is something that we definitely have in our world today, and that's what I often call microwave Christianity. That, you know, if you want to make uh, a million pounds, uh, just write a book, and here's the title, um, How to Be a Holy Christian in 24 Hours. Because that's what people want to hear. And if you write a book like that, you'll sell all kinds of books because that's what people want to hear, but that's not reality. People want to think that you could just take a Christian, pop them in the microwave oven, and go boop, 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 and then just wait. Boop, open the door, and you've got a holy Christian. But it doesn't work that way. It takes time to be holy. We need to spend time with God. We need to commune with Him. The amazing thing is, one of the reasons I really love these outreaches, and I don't think in no accidents with God, 
I don't think it was an accident that the same day that I came to preach on the message that I'm preaching on, that we had this outreach, because I've been coming here long enough that I'm very familiar with these outreaches that you do, and I'm very aware that people, as they're ministering to people, yes, God does the miraculous and God intervenes, but you can also tell by these testimonies that they're talking with God. Even Pastor Phil was communing with God with that word about Stonehenge even before they went out. And so when God did these things and did some of these works of providence and the miraculous and so forth, wonderful, but it was also based on communing with God and having a holy and righteous relationship with Him. And we need to realize that if we really want to see God pour out His Spirit and do the miraculous time and time again, it proceeds out of holy living. We need to recognize that. And that helps with a new beginning. Amen? Amen. Second point we want to make is we need to go from the old to the new by faith. Now, one of the things... I love about the Lord is that when he promises something, if his people obey, it does many times does not take him long to fulfill what he has spoken. So, for example, in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Now, that's chapter 3, verse 7. The wonderful thing is it only took God one chapter to fulfill that. Because if we look at chapter 4 and verse 14, this is what it reads. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. All it took was just a short number of verses, slightly over a chapter, and God had fulfilled what he had spoken. We need to have that kind of anticipation. Now, if you think about it, uh, what God is calling his people to do here is really quite massive. Uh, He's calling them really to uh, approach the Jordan River, and they needed to step up to the Jordan River and then believe that as they stepped up to the Jordan River, that God would part the waters. Now, really, that is quite amazing if you think about it. It also is important to note that the Israelites had to step into the water before it would part. If they had just stood there and said, well, you know, God, just kind of do your thing and so forth, and we're waiting... Um, it wouldn't have happened. And this is important to recognize because a lot of people think they're the ones waiting on God. And there is a time for waiting on God. We've already discussed that. And God blesses those times. But it's also true that so much of the time when we think we're waiting on God, what's really going on is God is waiting on us. And that's a question we need to even ask ourselves this morning. Is it really the case, if we think we're in a position of waiting, is it really that we're waiting on God or is in reality God is waiting on us and we need to take the step of faith? Now, this was indeed a, a great step of faith to go up and believe that um, the, uh, the Jordan would part. 
I mean, let's just say, and I'm not saying God will do this, although it'd be wonderful if he did. Let's just say someday God asks you to go up to the Thames and go up to the Thames. And as you step into the Thames, you know what parts. Hallelujah. Okay. But, you know, it takes, if we look very closely at this passage of Scripture, in actuality, as the Israelites were passing the Jordan, God required of the Israelites two different kinds of faith. Not just one that is often preached on, but two. And this is very important for us to recognize. The first kind of faith we will call the launching out kind of faith. Meaning they had to step into the Jordan and then the waters would part. Okay, that is the first kind of faith that was necessary. But also, if you look closely, uh, the priests and Levites, they were called to carry the Ark of the Covenant which, of course, is symbolically and in a very real way where the presence of God was, uh, they were to carry the ark into the middle of the Jordan and wait and stand still until the entire nation of Israel or people of Israel, since technically uh, they were in the midst of just becoming a nation and getting their land, till the entire population of Israel crossed the Jordan. Now, that's another kind of faith, It's the be still and know that I am God kind of faith. I mean, for sure, it takes faith to step in and believe the waters will part. But it also takes faith, oh my goodness, to stand still in the middle of the Jordan until all the Israelites finish passing over. And there were a lot of Israelites. We don't know exactly how many Israelites crossed over, but we have a pretty good idea, largely because of uh, a census that was taken uh, shortly before this time. And the census indicated that uh, there were over 600,000 adult males. Okay, and you don't have to be much of a mathematician to figure out, okay, 600 and some odd thousand adult males, more than likely about the same number of adult females. So suddenly we're up to about one and a quarter million Okay, and then you figure uh, two or three children per each family, and probably back in those days, maybe even more, but conservatively, you know, using today's standards, maybe two or three uh, children per family. So you're probably, most commentators believe, we're talking at least three million people who passed over the Jordan and that stand still while three million people cross the Jordan. That takes faith. Now, this is important for us to recognize that there were these two kinds of faith that were necessary because the same thing is true today if we really want to experience new beginnings. We have to realize that both kinds of faith are needed, the launching out kind of faith and also the be still and know that I am God kind of faith. We need both. And if we're transparent, we will recognize that just about Everyone is stronger in one area versus the other. You know, there's some people that if God says go, they're just waiting for God to say go. And if God says go, they will go. And then there are others who are kind of slow, okay, to respond. And then there are some who are great at waiting. And if God says go, oh my goodness, who knows if they'll go. But uh, there could be an earthquake in the middle of Cambridge and they'd be totally calm, okay. But we need to be strong in both areas. Because a lot of times, God says go and people don't respond. 
I know so many people that I've met that every time I meet them over the years, they, I ask them, well, so what's God doing in your life? What's he calling you to do today? And they say, well, just waiting on the Lord, just seeing what he wants me to do. And I'll, so I'll ask them that question. Then I'll meet them again maybe in five years, and I'll say, hey, what's God leading you to do today? What's he calling you to do today? I don't know, just, just kind of waiting on the Lord, seeing what he wants me to do. I run into them 10 years later, and I say, what's God leading you to do today? What's he calling you to do? I, I don't know, just kind of waiting on the Lord, just seeing what he wants me to do. 30 years later, I go up to them, and I say, what's God leading you to do today? What's he calling you to do today? Well, I don't know what God called me to do, and I, I sure he, hope he speaks in my right ear because my left ear has gone back on me and <laughs> I'm just kind of uh, <laughs> waiting on the Lord. There will be some people who die waiting on the Lord. It will read on their tombstone. He died waiting on the Lord. When in reality so much of the time God is waiting on us. Amen. And we need, we need to step out and do what God has commissioned us to do. And let's face it, it it's not easy sometimes to, to launch out. It's not easy. People are kind of looking at us. Not only believers, but, but unbelievers. I mean, imagine this person. God's instructed them, okay, I want you to go uh, into London, and uh, I want you to believe, go up to the Thames, and I want you to believe for the Thames to part. Now, of course, you look at the people who live and work on the Thames and, and most major rivers in the larger countries in the world have this. I mean, the, the rivers are well populated along the banks. So if you're called to believe God to part the waters, you know, you have parks there. You have all kinds of things, people walking with their kids and so forth. There are people there. And so here you are getting ready to believe God that he's going to part the things. But there are people along, you know, walking to and fro and so forth. So it can, it can make you a little bit nervous. So here you are going... Here we go. In the name of Jesus, Thames, <laughs> nice day. <laughs> oh, cute kid there. Oh, all right, Lord, you know, we'll try it again. In the name of Jesus, <laughs> nice bike. Oh, yeah, lo love your bike. Oh, yeah, I'd like to get one of those myself, okay? So it's hard sometimes because when God calls us to step out, other people know what's going on and we don't want to make fools of ourselves. But if God says it, we need to do it, bottom line. Now, as I mentioned, there are some people who are great when God says go. They go. And there are others that are not. They just wait on the Lord seemingly all of their lives. But then there's the other extreme. There are some people that if God says go, they're kind of like, go, go. How do you spell that? Go. But you know what? Again, I mean, there could be an earthquake in Cambridge right now. And as the earthquake was taking place, these same people would go, Glory be to God. He is in total control. 
And they're just great at being still and knowing that he is God. But in reality, we need to be strong at both because there's sometimes we need to launch out and then other times we do. The waves are rough around us and we need to just be still and know that he is God and God will give us peace. Amen? Amen. The last point that we want to make is a new beginning. And we see some interesting truths pop out at us in this passage of Scripture. First of all, verse 16 is very, very interesting because we see that the waters are piled up. We're looking at the middle of verse 16 now, and it says, It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. Now, one of the things I love about the Word of God is there are no accidents in the Word of God. We are well aware, I'm sure, that so many times names of people and names of places have significance in the Bible. And here is such an instance. The waters are parted and they stand up a great distance away at a place called Adam. And of course, Adam represents our old man. Aren't you glad that today we no longer have Adam as our representative? Isn't that reassuring? My goodness. If I were to read uh, Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis, and, and uh, say that, oh my goodness, that's my representative, that, that, that would spell trouble. But thankfully, Jesus is now our representative. And so Adam represents the old man. So when God does a new work, when he gives us a new beginning, we not only launch ahead into the new, but the Lord casts off all that old junk in a place far off at Adam, so to speak. And also we notice that uh, in verse 17, or actually the verse at the end of verse 16 it begins, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho, and then it talks about the priests standing uh, in the midst of dry ground, and then all the nation finishing, uh, uh, passing over, but they land at Jericho. And of course, Jericho, at least initially, is a major obstacle. Now, I think many times when we look at this passage of Scripture, we have something of a misconception. A lot of times we think the Israelites reacted something like this, that, okay, they stepped into the Jordan and the waters parted, or even with the Red Sea, Moses, you know, with the parting of the Red Sea, that the Israelites looked upon these grand miracles and had the reaction, oh, isn't this nice? Let's let's cross. I don't think that's what happened at all. I think they went on a high, that they thought, wow, can you believe this? The Jordan parting or the Red Sea parting, I believe they went on a high. Now, if you don't believe me, go up to the Thames sometime. Now, I'm not giving you the guarantee that it will part. I'm not giving you that guarantee, but if it does, you come back to me and tell me you didn't go on a high. You'd go on a high. You'd go, wow, look at this. All the boats and ships and even the the river boats giving a tour of London, they have to stop (laughs) because the waters of you'd go on a high. Now, highs are fine, 
but they need to have a spiritual foundation. And many times what happens is the emotional dominates over the spiritual. And so just imagine uh, this wonderful experience happens. The Jordan parts and the Israelites cross over the Jordan. And the, the Lord gives two warnings concerning highs to end this passage of Scripture. The first warning is don't turn back. Because a lot of times when God works a miracle, like the parting of the Jordan here, the Israelites, they're all excited and they're thinking, praise God, all our past is behind us, no more problems. And then they get to the other side and the first thing they encounter after this terrific miracle is they encounter a trial. They encounter a challenge, an obstacle, in this case, Jericho. And here they're thinking, oh, all our problems are behind us. And they might think, Jericho, let's turn back. No. The first warning is we must not turn back. If God can part the waters, he can do anything. And, of course, with Jericho, he did. The walls of Jericho came down. But after God gives us a new beginning, we must not turn back. We must not get discouraged. Because life isn't that way until heaven, is it? That all our problems are behind us. We're never going to have a trial again. It just doesn't happen that way, does it? God may give us periods of time like this when he gives us a taste of heaven, but they don't last forever. So when the trials begin to come again and the obstacles arise, first thing is we must not turn back. The second warning is we need to be able to distinguish the difference between the spirit and the emotional. Because there are highs and then there are highs. I mean, for example, uh, let's just say we went up to the Thames and it parted and here we are crossing the Thames. We might think, wow, this is terrific. God even parted the Thames for me. Hallelujah! Bring on the Atlantic! Hallelujah! Okay, we really go on a high. And then we get to the other side and we see, in the case of the Israelites, we see Jericho and we think, hey, God parted the Thames. We can go after Jericho right now. Let's go. But wait a minute. The Ark of the Covenant was still in the middle of the Jordan. They would have been going ahead of the Lord. They would have been acting on emotion rather than the spirit and the presence and truth of God. And you know what? Had they attacked Jericho right then, they would have lost. It's very important to distinguish between the spirit and emotional experience. Yes, many times, you know, we do get excited when God does wonderful spiritual things. That's only human. But we need to be able to discern that there are differences between the two. And that is so key in order to win the battle for the Lord. But I really believe, like I said, I've been praying for weeks over what messages to give, and I really feel like the Lord wants to bring this entire church and us as individuals to greater levels than we have ever been before. It's time for a new beginning. Even as our, our dear brother was sharing, I, I like the way he was, uh, he was sharing. You know, he started praying for 10 believers next time, and, you know, then, you know, 100, and hallelujah, let's go for a 1,000, you know, and so forth. Why, why not, maybe next year, call it the Christian Strawberry Festival. I'm saying that a little bit facetiously, um, but 
Amen. We need to believe for great things because our God is able to do great things. Hallelujah. And that is what I am believing for this church. And as individuals, are you ready to believe for that? Amen. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.